Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. And he immediately put us on tour with the judge before the farewell tour, right before that. Well, what's that like? Oh, it was mind-blowing because they're doing those sheds. You know, they're, they're one of the biggest acts in the country. I would go out and ride horses out at the farm with them, and Winona really took me in, loaned me her motorcycle, and I had a bike coming. They were just couldn't have been better to me. Episode 401, Terry McBride. Singer, songwriter, lead singer and bassist of McBride and the Ride. So a couple things. One, let's talk about songs he wrote. If you see him, if you see her, Reba, Brooks and Dunn. Here's a little clip of that. If you see her. If you see her. Lots of Brooks and Dunn writes here, and you'll hear why as we get into the interview. Play something country, Brooks and Dunn. I'll play something country. Hey, one of my favorite songs, Cowgirls Don't Cry, Reba, Brooks and Dunn. Cowgirls Don't Cry, ride, baby, ride. I think it's the saddest song I've ever heard in my life, at least one of them. From his own voice, his own catalog, uh, McBride and the Ride, here is Sacred Ground. This ain't just some come lately. That was the number one song. Here's the top five song, Going Out of My Mind, McBride and the Ride. One more top five song, Just One Night from McBride and the Ride. She had the face of an angel. All three members of McBride and the Ride are reuniting. They're touring. They're releasing new music. And so Marlboro's and Avon, that's the new EP. It'll have five songs coming out in July. And just announced Terry will be inducted into the Texas Songwriters Hall of Fame in early 2024. And he will be inducted by Ronnie Dunn. So... I don't know what to say. He had a lot of energy. I like talking with him because yeah. I could just be like, hey, I want to point you in this direction and then just tell me everything. And he did. And I'd never met Terry before. Had you? I haven't met him, no. So follow him on Instagram at Terry McBride Music. Go watch him on the road. 
Again, they're getting back together. I guess they're already back together playing some shows. Yeah. Yeah. So go check it out. Here he is in episode 401, Terry McBride from McBride and the Ride. Terry, how are you, buddy? Oh, I'm great, man. Bobby, well, thanks for having me. Are you, are you kidding? I, we were happy that you said yes. Oh, your, your last session. You just made a joke about that. <laughs> when was your last session? Well, let's see. The last thing I did was a little, like a little demo project over at Sony, you know, songwriter session. But uh, prior to that, it was this EP that we've been working on. You know? the, the, and we'll get to the EP in a second, but the first thing you mentioned, the songwriter session, the, yeah. the, the demo. Is that you going to record songs you just wrote? Right. Got it. Yeah, just like the old days. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've been at this for a long time, so I, I'm, I'm doing uh, balancing it out a little bit more now than I used to. I'm, I'm performing back on the road some, which I didn't do for about 20 years. I had the luxury of you know, traveling around the country and writing songs and uh, bouncing down the road with Ronnie Dunn for about 13 of those years. Did you miss it? Or um, did you not think you missed it until you did it again and you're like, oh, man, I'm... Yeah, you, all of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did miss it a little bit. I didn't miss it at times, you know. It's, uh, uh, you know, I remember from the 90s, it's just kind of a blur. You know, 200 shows a year, uh, mm. lots of pressure. We were on MCA. We were like... I remember one time our record had gone gold, and we were pretty excited, you know. And then we had a meeting with the label, like, you guys have got to step it up. You know, you got to get this thing has got to start moving. We were like, oh, we didn't even get to enjoy the gold record. We were like, we got to get to platinum. Or... What, do they, what do they mean by that, step it up? Well, we had Reba, George Strait. Uh, in comparison. Yes, in comparison. Got it. So they were, com- they were comparing us. Well, that's to... not fair to compare. Them. It's like, well, you need to oh, be a better God. Christian. We have the Pope that lives here, yeah. so you need to... <laughs> Yeah, it was a little, it was a little bittersweet because we were excited about what we were doing. Of course, you know, we we're out there busting our butts and going around the country and doing our job. You know, basically, and I was writing that stuff. I thought I'm doing a good job, but you know, I learned a lot when I came to Nashville. It's totally different, you know, than uh, back home in Austin, Texas, where you're from Lampasas, aren't you? Are I'm I, from Lampasas. Did you live there? Live there? Or were oh, you I born? did. Yeah, I now, mean, I, that area is like home to me. Yeah, how long did you live in Austin? Thir- 12, 13 years. Wow, did you really? But all my young adult life. So like. Yeah, those formative. Wow. Yeah, I mean that is where I really wow. like struggled and learned. I thought maybe you moved there for work. You know, I, well, I did, but right mm. at, as soon as I graduated college, I was mm-hmm. down there. Oh, and it was built the whole thing there. Oh, Bobby, it was so. I was sixty-eight miles down the road in high school in the seventies, and the whole outlaw thing was exploding. You know, so the band I was in in high school, we had the whole Viva Terlingua Jerry Jeff Walker album that we were doing it live. You know, <laughs> they were like superstars an hour down the road. I could get in my Chevelle, my 72 Chevelle. I could be in Austin in an hour. I could be back uh, for two days the next morning at, in Lampasas playing football. You know, I could see Doug Somm, Rusty Weir, Jerry Jeff, Willie, Armadillo World Headquarters. It was pretty mind-blowing. What was Austin like late 70s? Oh, it was just the best. The music scene was just exploding, you know, uh, uh, I listened to a lot of music, you know, growing up, my dad was a musician, so I was exposed to everything from, you know, Sinatra to uh, hardcore country, living in Texas, it was pretty classic country, rural setting in Lampasas, you know, but uh, uh, Austin was just on fire, I was obsessed with Willie, you know, I, I listened to that when I was about, I guess, maybe a freshman, eighth grade, uh, Phases and Stages, that album came out, and I just, oh, it was so different, it was a concept record you know it was uh, a divorce album all those songs are sad 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 i just loved it i hadn't even had my heart broken yet and i just <laughs> loved it you know i hadn't had a drink or anything 
but I couldn't wait to get divorced. You know, I thought, oh, I can't, <laughs> can't wait to be just like Willie. You know, I want to grow up and do all this stuff. But it really changed my way of thinking as far as songs, the way they were written and recorded. Uh, Jimmy Day was this amazing steel guitar player, just played the most haunting licks on that album. And it just sucked me into the Willie Nelson world. I mean, I knew his hits and things he'd written for other people, you know, growing up. I was, my dad had Billboard magazine, so I was always combing through it and seeing the writers and producers. I loved that magazine growing up. But uh, that just got me into everything that was happening in Austin. Coke FM at the time. Yeah, KOK is back, too. Back now, yeah. yeah. I, I, I go over there and visit those well, Bob guys. Bob Cole. And, Bob. Yeah. And, yeah, Eric Raines is a big pal of mine, a yeah. big supporter. I've visited many times. But, yeah, at the time, that was Outlaw Country. You know, it was Outlaw Central. And uh, everybody that I loved was playing in Austin. I mean, seriously, you know, back in that day. Did you move around with your dad? Because he toured. Yeah. Did you, did you go with him? Oh, yeah. What did you do on the road? Well, I was thinking about you because I spent the summer, my 10-year-old summer, I spent a month in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And you know that uh, well, the, uh, classic old hotel, the Arlington? Yeah. We, my dad played right across the street in this cool hotel. It had a swimming pool on the second floor. And when you went into the bar, you could see people swimming on the bar, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I was in there. I lived in that hotel for a month with my dad that summer. So... Did he do like a residency there? Like, what did uh, your dad do? I knew he was a musician. I knew you toured with him. But what was his? What did he do specifically? He's he was an old school kind of musician. You know, graduated high school in '55. So it, when he got out of high school, he was the Central Texas Elvis. He was rockabilly. He was a extremely talented musician. Uh, he had all that Scotty Moore guitar parts that Elvis had. He could play all the Bob Will swing. Very accomplished musician and. He started from high school on. He he joined this band called Jimmy Heap. I think it was the Melody, Melody Masters. And Jimmy Heap had a million-selling single on Release Me, which later went on to be Ray Price's huge song. But Jimmy Heap had a million-selling single on it in 1948. <laughs> so my dad was like the lead singer, guitar player in that big band. Mm. It was a big band, comedy. Uh, he, they had a dirty... A comic that would come <laughs> do blue humor and my dad was the lead singer lead player and so i was born in taylor texas that's where jimmy heat was living and uh so that sort of started him on his path he got into early television over in waco uh was a guy over there galen christie which went on to be on some stations in the area uh which those guys all had weird names back then. Corn Cobb, Galen Christie. You know, they all had some I can't guy. say much, Bobby Bones. You know, I, I, I can't really laugh at them too much. Well, they all had or a sidekick or something. Sure. You know, it was early television. Mm-hmm. My dad was, you know, tall, had a good look, and he, he was doing all the necessary things, you know, and, uh, and just sort of found his way. He had different agents and managers, and he toured with Phyllis Diller, and he did a lot of cool stuff, you know, along the way. He just never hit the big time you know he, he he got close many times but does, he, does a guy like that because when i have kids i'm gonna be like you don't want to do what i do. oh my god like you don't want to do oh it's so difficult and then you're gonna have comparisons and then but mostly oh. it's just difficult so what does your dad say to you he's done it his whole life obviously loved it maybe got to the point he, uh, of satisfaction i'm not sure but does he go you should do it too or you need to stay away oh, from it I, he had that very same conversation of he did not want me to do it i my dad was my hero he he was uh, when i was young i mean 
things were happening at our house that just weren't the norm. You know, I mean, like this old black man showed up at our house one night asking for blue suede shoes. Is blue suede shoes here? Because my dad was like the Elvis guy. I thought, that's interesting. I don't even know what that means, but that's my dad's blue suede shoes, you know. Then these musicians were coming and going. People were calling each other cats, and this lingo was totally different from mm. the other people in Lampasas, Texas. Where they were rehearsing at the house. My dad had, you know, wall and sack, reel reels. There was a lot of stuff going on at our house, and I was in tune and picking up on it, you know. He had a band trailer with all the gear, all the clothes hanging on a rod. The bat. I'd get in there, Bobby, and I would hang out, and I thought, man, this smells so cool in here. <laughs> this is what music smells like. It was really cigarette smoke. You know, I had no idea at that age, young, young, but I loved everything about it, including my dad, you know. So I would, he would come home. I would polish the guitars before I could play. I wanted to be part of it however I could. Then when I was nine, I begged him and bothered him enough where he he bought me a guitar but he bought me this guitar from mexico my dad loved going to mexico he loved the valley in texas and matamoros and he used to play at the la fiesta ballroom theater in el paso he would drive over at night play with a full mexican orchestra then he would come back to el paso and spend the night he had a trailer back then we had motorhomes trailers he was living in different ways he had full bands he would do a trio like in hot springs that was a trio right. he would show up and he would do impersonations he was really good at it. He was a great yodeler, five-string banjo. He could do all that. He was very accomplished. Then later we had a studio. He would write the string charts for like a, a an ensemble, you know, like a whole string ensemble we'd bring in from Austin over to Lamp Passes, and we'd record things, and he would chart it and write it. He'd been coming to Nashville for years, so very accomplished, like I said. you know. But he did not want me getting back yeah. to your question. No. He's like, man, how about, you know, Trade school, meat cutting. You know, I was like, oh, my Consistency. God. Consistency. Some sort of consistent work. He or wanted depend to, of, Being able to depend on something. He wanted that from me. Yeah. He really did. I fought it all the way. My my relatives weren't real supportive because they saw my dad struggling at times. We we lived okay, really. We did. Uh, we even had, a, like, a new car occasionally. You know, it, was, it wasn't like we were, you know, barely getting by. I'm sure at times we probably were. You know, when you're a kid, you don't, you're right. not, not in tune to all that stuff. But no, he did not want it. But I wanted it so bad that he just kind of stuck with me a little bit. He got me this guitar from Mexico. The, the action on it was so high, a grown man could barely play it, you the, know? For those listening, the strings are so high, it's hard to push down. Oh, the front. Yeah. I, I would just, oh, I, was, I would cry when I was nine and my fingers would bleed. But I thought, I got I to, gotta, yeah. I want this so bad. And once I got G, C, and D down, um, and then once I got in the fifth grade, I started taking my little guitar to school. Hey Jude was the first song I played. And my life changed because, one, the teacher really liked it, you know. And then I got to go from class to class. I got out a whole day of school. <laughs> I went, not only do I like this, I've got an audience built in, but I also get out of school, you know, for the day. And then I started bringing my guitar to school all the all all, from there on, you know. Did girls like you in fifth grade with guitar? Because <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was just, literally, I was talking to Adam, Adam Duritz, the lead singer of the County Crows today, and he was talking about maybe eighth grade, he's sang out behind the building, and girls liked him singing, and he was like, well, that's it. Yeah. I'm good. Let's go. Yeah, I like that aspect of it as well. I was skinny and scrawny and small when I was really young, you know, so there wasn't a lot of action going on. That's why you play a guitar. But yeah. with the guitar, it did get the attention that I was probably lacking otherwise, you know. I mean, here's how things were in Lampasas. My mom was really, she was an artist. She was an interesting person, difficult childhood with her. She was my mom and wonderful and also struggled with uh, alcohol and 
you know, things I learned as I grew up, you know, but she would dress me up in a way that she wanted me to look, you know, I mean, bell bottoms. I had a peace chain <laughs> and a Nehru shirt. You're Abby Hoffman. In like, fifth grade. In fifth grade, Abby Hoffman. And when I, I didn't even make it to the front door before the principal grabbed me, he took me in the office. He said, no way. These clothes are not going to happen. That chain's got, oh man, I was mortified. You know, my mom, why, why would my mom do this to me? Called my mom. Made made her come pick me up and go home and change my clothes. You know, like uh, it was shocking. You That's know? funny. Yeah, it was. It was. I had no idea. I'm just kind of following her lead. Yeah. You know, <laughs> felt good, looked good to me. I thought, you know, but uh, very ranching community. So you know, I was. Yeah, really... I didn't really feel ranchy in a ranching community. <laughs> That's like the opposite. That's like. And, and I had boots early on. My dad always bought bought me cool boots from Mexico. Like I still have a pair that are brown with blue suede tops that are just. I was probably five. You know. Still have the belt with my name on the back that Ray Jones, a well-known bootmaker from Lampas, has made me. I'd, I'd help him. He sort of, I think he realized my dad wasn't home a lot, and he would pick me up and take me out the country, and he'd have me help him with cattle during the day. Then all my friends, they were ranchers. They had right. two, four thousand acre ranch of cattle and and sheep, and we'd work cattle during the summer. I loved it, pretending like I was a cowboy, you know. And FFA, that was the first band I was in. FFA talent team, you know. Wait, I thought you were making a joke, as in FFA was your first band. <laughs> but wait, there was an FFA band? Oh, yeah. Well, the Future Farmers had a band? Future, oh, my, I still have my jacket, Bobby, too, which I just posted recently and played a FFA uh, uh, gathering in Belton, Texas. They had their annual FFA uh, end-of-the-year benefit that they have every year, and so I wore my jacket with all the kids. But yeah, when you were in FFA, there were projects. You either got... On the welding committee, you learned how to do different things, but they also had a talent team. And um, when I was in junior high, my friends, uh, my sister's friends, uh, they had this band, and they they won everything. They went to Kansas City and won the national finals. So when they came back to line passes, they were like the Hillbilly Beatles. You know, the, the kids <laughs> were just freaking out over them. Then when I became a freshman, I got in that band. They asked me to be in the band. But we went to um, – first you go to district. And you compete against other little bands. Other FFA bands? Other FFA bands. There's all, more than one? All kids have to be in FFA to qualify. Yeah, to, I get that. Yeah, yeah. How many bands are there that well, play instruments? Texas, you know. I mean, there's a lot. So we go to we go to district was Lano, Texas. Then you go to regionals. That was Fredericksburg, Texas. Set up in a little room in a hotel. What do you play? Oh, my gosh. We were doing like uh, one of our songs was like Wine Spodiote, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, or uh, – Johnny Bush, whatever was really popular in Texas. We were doing country, classic country songs. Wow. Then you go on to state. We won. So we went on to state finals. We're at the Hemisphere Arena in San Antonio. Big time, you know, for us. And it's all the delegates. It's the committee. It's all guys and a few girls back then. Not many. But the we came in second because this really good-looking girl was the singer in a really short dress. I learned a lesson early on. They killed us. They weren't even very good, but they killed us. They won, and we came in second. That's why you wear the dress. <laughs> oh, it all makes sense. Yeah. So it was all male de- delegation. You know, it was like, yeah, it was interesting. It was wow. kind of heartbreaking early on. I, I learned a lesson going, wow. But but from there, I went on to this other band that was extremely popular in high school. I did that all the way through my senior year. But I was also playing – with my dad on the road when I was 13. I, I was going to ask about you playing young. Yeah. Where your dad's gone a lot. A I'm lot. assuming. Well, all the time, unfortunately, yeah. And so, but he is also a musician, and you want to be around him and 
have him in your life more and while <laughs> right. he's gone. But you, and you also want to do things that he enjoys, which is why you're drawn to music probably, right? You're to right. Be closer. Exactly. So when it comes to playing music, though, like nature or nurture, do you feel like you were born a little more able to understand? Or do you feel like since you were around it a decent amount, you just, I don't like, you just consumed it because you were next to it? Yeah, that was part of it for sure. What was it? I, I, I consumed it, and I was, uh, like I said, I looked up to my dad so much. He had this office. We had a breezeway carport. Did he teach you? Did he sit with you and teach you? Oh, stuff? he did. Yeah. He was reluctantly teaching me, and my dad was, in some ways, not like me at all. Very serious individual. I'm way more outgoing and like to have a lot more fun you know, than he did. He was very serious, which probably made him a really good accomplished musician he learned early on from a piano player from those taylor texas days learning to read and write and all that stuff but he did he showed me how to play those first chords and just went okay here it is you know he i remember my ninth birthday he came around the house with my mom filming with the movie camera with him playing that little guitar from mexico you know and my guitar shaped cake you know that that started the journey for me from that moment on i was i was determined i had a lot more want to Probably, obviously, in talent back then, you don't know what you're doing. But I really kind of picked it up. I did like it. Uh, and then something happened. You know, my dad, he was gone a lot. Like you said, he was a professional touring guy. West Coast, we might not see him for three months mm. sometimes. You know, so he missed a lot of stuff. I lived next door to my grandparents, which helped a lot. They really helped raise me. My parents divorced in junior high, and, and they really just kind of watched over me from that point. On, I had my own home. Uh, Bobby, from uh, freshman year on, I had a house. <laughs> Did you just go bananas? Oh, like we a ninth or tenth went grader? bananas. Yeah, uh, the band rehearsed there. We'd have parties. Was it there. disgusting? Was it just? Uh, it, it didn't ever. I, I really had a lot of respect for my grandparents. Yeah, I didn't want to go so far that I ended up in jail or something like but that. But I mean, like, or, but we like not clean because you're. 15. My dad was still living there, you know. But uh, he'd come home. We'd come home. We had a couple water fights that went bad. One time, you know, we had to pull the furniture out in the front yard to dry it out. It wasn't a good scene. And my grandparents, you know, very concerned. They were also full of guilt. My parents had just divorced. They were trying to really kind of baby me a little bit. They didn't want to rock the boat, you know. But my dad and my granddad, we we would have these crazy parties. You know, we're in high school, you know, lots of girls over there and having fun. And I remember my granddaddy would come down the trail, you know, in a little lane from his house in his boxer shorts and a, like a wife beater and a flashlight. <laughs> We're like, Grandpa, we got girls down here. Click, the flashlight would go off, and we'd never see him again. <laughs> you know? He thought he was going to do something, but he, he didn't do anything. He, they did call the cops on us one time. I was getting out of control. We were practicing late. There's no neighbor to the end of the dead-end road we lived on. My grandparents next door, and then cattle across the street. There's nobody we're bothering, but I think they were trying to teach me. So in the middle of the rehearsal, we hear a knock on the door. We went, hey, everybody be quiet, you know, pounding on the door. And we said, Hello? And the voice on the other side said, it's the heat. <laughs> I've never heard him refer to themselves as the heat. He referred yeah. to himself as the heat. And we opened the door and we knew the uh, the police officer, a guy that we hired, had to have security when we had these dances, you know. But uh, that was a, that was about the extent of nobody ever got hurt. Nobody really got in trouble bad. We, we, we walked a pretty fine line there and balanced that out somehow. I don't know how. I wasn't a big drinker in high school, so I kind of kept – and no drugs. I had never seen – Anything like that in high school. That pass is pretty taboo back back then still. Yeah. Hang tight. The Bobby Cast will be right back. 
This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break in period. Like, it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So, stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like imagine you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things and financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. And we're back on the Bobbycast. When did you move here? And even before that, when did you decide that this was the career for you, not just something you love to do? Because there's a different dedication for career than it is a passion. <laughs> yeah, good point for sure. It It, it was. It was... It was a lot of struggling. Those Austin days were my starving musician days. Do you have other jobs? 
I did. I was I, not not very often. I had those Texas jobs early on, hauling hay, yeah. which made me go back. That's and, an Arkansas job, too. I had to do that crap, too. Oh, I went back it and sucked. practiced really hard after that. Yeah. that. That made me go back and realize, not for me. It was so brutal. Texas summers. I didn't have a lot. I, I was playing two, three different bands. I did a lot of that kind of thing, juggling, filling in. Uh, but I was also writing, you know. And then later... Uh, a few things started happening. This guy, Reese Winan, who is an amazing piano player, he was playing with Delbert McClinton at the time. And he was coming over to my dad's studio, and we were hiring him as musicians. We had these world-class players coming to this little studio in Lampasas. Ernie Darawa, the drummer for the Texas Tornadoes, became my dad's friend. Tom Brumley, the steel player for the Buckaroos, lived. Uh, he moved back to Marble Falls. He was playing on a lot of those sessions, and I was playing with him with Leroy Parnell and Rosie Flores. I was getting to meet these people. But Reese really took me in and said, after a couple sessions, he went, I've got this gig you might be interested in. It's a cocktail gig at the Hyatt Hotel, downtown Austin. You know it, right on Town Lake. He goes, it's $50 a night. and We play five, six nights a week. You'd be perfect for it. So I was making the drive, 120 miles a night, five nights a week. And we were eating the employee's cafeteria, me and Reese. Reese went on to be uh, the double trouble with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Now he plays with Joe Bonamassa, but he was one of those first people that said, let me introduce you to some people, you know, and he did. He just took it upon himself. He even created this band called the C-Notes. I was the lead singer, and that really elevated my playing, but it also made me start to think about, I could maybe do this. I was a kind of a singing bass player prior, prior to that, you know. Why do you say singing like that? Were you not known? No. As a dynamic singer? No, not at all. No, I was a guy that could fill in and cover harmony parts. I could sing a few songs. Uh, I'd been doing it with my dad. He would we do two, three sets. We'd go out and do four hours sometimes without my dad as a band, you know. So I was I was doing learning and building and you know. Did you think you were a good singer? Uh, probably not. Did you learn time. later that you were a really good singer? Uh, no, okay. I, I never never thought that was my strongest. I, I thought I was a badass bass player, you know, which got me nowhere really, other than some gigs, you know. But but through those gigs, I, I ended up auditioning for Delbert McClinton because we were going out and opening shows with this band called the C-Notes with Reese. And, uh, and, and Delbert, we hit it off right away. I auditioned in his living room, and two days later I was in Miami. We were opening for John Fogarty, and life just took a whole different path after that. So you went from that Texas struggle life, and then you're on the road and you're playing these major cities opening yeah. for, for Fogarty? Uh, Huey Lewis, 1986, the Big Four tour, we did wow. that. With Tower of Power. That's the first time you like saw, I don't want to say the world, but even domestically, the first time you like saw other parts of the country? Or your dad, like I guess I don't yeah. know his touring. I saw that with my dad. He took us to the West Coast. So you go all the way, you go to East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, mainly the West Coast, my dad took us to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He loved, he would, he would play there for a month at a time. So I saw some parts of the country, but not until like Delbert, New York yeah. City, San Francisco. I mean, even Miami. Miami, uh, in these great tours, you know, Huey Lewis was on top of the world back then and, uh, we were opening. I think we did probably thirty dates with him, you know. And same with John Fogarty, and Delbert always did cool, cool gigs. So it exposed me to a wonderful life of uh, here's what it's like. Of course, we're in a 1958 tour bus, eleven of us packed into this little tiny bus. Of course, I was the youngest guy. I was just it was nothing but what I always wanted to do, you know. But even Bobby, as good as that gig was, as much as I loved Delbert and still do. I just didn't want to end up being a bass player for somebody. I, I was writing these songs, so I started making these trips to Nashville, you know, and saving up a little money trying to get up here before. Why Nashville, though? Well, I'd been here with my dad 
and I thought about L.A. I thought about New York. And maybe I could go and audition for something, you know, on Broadway. You know, I can sing. I can play. I had no idea what I was doing other than I knew I had some skills. Where could I best be placed somewhere, do something, you know? But it was songwriting that started slowly bringing it uh, uh, into the fact that maybe possibly I could I could do this on my own. I could create music maybe, and that would be a lane for me to really chase, you know? Did you share any of the music with the guys you were working with? Uh, not much, no. Did was, they know you were also doing this, writing? Not a lot. No, I was a closet kind of in my room making these horrible little home demos on that Fostex cassette four-track thing that everybody wanted back in the day. And another point in my life that changed everything, I left Delbert. I got sober. I was spiraling kind of out of control. And I really wanted to focus on writing. So this guy named Bill Carter, he was finishing up a record. He and his wife, Ruth Ellsworth, they had written A Crossfire for Stevie Ray Vaughan, Willie the Wimp and his Cadillac Coffin. Uh, the Fabulous Thunderbirds were recording some of their songs. They were like a dynamic duo songwriting team in Austin, Texas. And he was putting a band together. I went and auditioned. I got the gig. And then while we were out there on that tour opening for Stevie Ray Vaughan, we went from Austin to the bottom line, New York City and back, and played lots of places in between. I shared my home demos with Bill and Ruth. And it was really not even like me, but they liked it. They liked They were country, classic country, country stuff. And they went, man, when we get off this tour, let's let's focus on writing some country songs with you, you know? I said, that'd be great. It was my first co-write with anybody. And so I went over to their home. We hit it off. They were really good writers. I just felt so intimidated. I had these ideas. I had some cool titles and pieces and parts. And, and then we started demoing these songs. Then we sent them up here to a guy named Jody Williams, who I'd never met, who was working at BMI, and they said, hey, we want to come to Nashville. And I've been coming up here and pitching my songs, you know, getting nowhere, meeting a lot of bottom feeder type of people you know, that weren't doing anything. And it was a little odd. But um, with them, Jody Williams said, man, uh, these demos are great. And they said, and we said, we want a George Strait cut. That's really our goal. You know, we're from Texas. And that would be the that would be where we want to set the bar, you know. And Jody said, man, I'll tell you what, whoever's singing these demos – he needs a record deal. And uh, so he Bill, didn't know it was you. He, he didn't know. I'd never met him. Okay. I'd never met him. I'd Got never it. had any affiliation with BMI or anything. Not even yet. in your runnings here. You never no, ran into him. Got it. Didn't know him at all. Complete. They, they'd had a relationship with him a little bit because of their success, you know. So he said, man, whoever's seen these demos. And so he single handedly took it upon himself to get us a meeting with all these major players in town. Uh, just opened the door. And the last visit, the last day was with Tony Brown at MCA. And I was back at the. Shoney's in and Bill and Ruth are like they're representing me. We didn't know what we we're doing. They're trying to walk in there like they're my managers and we've got this whole plan. <laughs> we didn't know what they're all they're all tatted up. You know, this is nineteen eighty something, eighty eight, eighty nine. You know, Ruth's got her pink high top kids on. They're they're an interesting couple. So <laughs> and then we were everybody was digging the songs, but Tony Brown just flipped. And the, they came back to Shoney's that day and I remember and they they opened the door and they said, Well, we got you a record deal. And I went, what? That's how that, that was how you were told. That's how I was told. Having a little sausage, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, a buffet over at Shoney's. Yeah. yeah. Like, hey, we got your record deal. Wow. And, and they said, man, Tony wants to fly to Austin, and he wants to meet you. He couldn't meet that day. He was going on to something else. But he said, if you're the real deal, 
he's going to sign you. And I went, oh, God, I hope I'm the real deal, whatever that is, you know. So he flew to Austin, and he said he, he was in the atrium, and he saw me walk in the lobby. I had my cowhide cowboy boots on like Stevie Ray Vaughan had. He had a pair. I had to have a pair. And my sunglasses, and he went, man, that, that must be the guy, you know. And then we hit it off. Then he, he signed me to MCA. That was like 89. But then he invited my wife and I to San Antonio to a George Strait New Year's Eve show of Patty Loveless and Vince Gill. And uh, he took me to the dressing room and said, here's the deal, man. I love your songs. I love what you're doing. But we need a band for the label. We, we have the Desert Rose Band. That's coming to an end. How do you feel when he's saying that? Oh, you're, I was disappointed. You're so, that's oh. how I feel, too. Like, you're a solo <laughs> artist. Or yeah. you're in a band, but you're not the lead singer, and you're trying to be a solo artist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I would, and my dreams, I was going to be the next George Strait. Whatever is going to happen. I'm, I'm at MCA. I'm on the same label, even, you know? And Tony Brown was the one guy I really wanted to work with because he had just done that first La Love It record, those Steve Earle records that I was pretty obsessed with, you know? All the, a lot of those cool Patty records, Steve Warner, just a lot of songs I loved. He was the producer on the, all those songs. So I thought, man, I'm with my guy. This is the guy, you know? What, is, what does he say when he says being a band? Is it like, oh, he's like I already man, have some people? No, or? he did. He's yeah. like, man, you're a band guy. He goes, you, Delbert, I saw you with Rosie. You're a band guy. I went, yeah, I'm a band guy. Uh, he said, and I've got some guys in mind, you know? Oh. <laughs> he knew Ray Herndon, our guitar player, yeah. because Ray played on all the La Love It records. And then he knew Billy Thomas because Billy was singing on these new Vince Gill tracks that Tony was cutting. And Billy was the drummer for Emmy Lou Harris. And Steve Fisher was also one of the original members. He was the steel guitar player for Emmy Lou Harris. But he, but Bobby, I had to go, do I, do I bulk up here and go, you know, hey, listen, I love you. I want to work with you, but I don't want to be in a band. Or do I go, hey, I'm willing. And, and I just went, whatever you think, you know, I mean, I've got a shot here. He, but he built it up like, we're going to build a band around you and your songs. You're going to be the songwriter. I thought, it's a great opportunity. What am I thinking? You know I mean? It's Tony Brown, and i got to see how it plays out. You know, Completely agree. Completely understand. I just know that if you're fighting to be a solo artist, <laughs> and they sign you, and you're thinking you're a solo artist, yeah. and it's so exciting. Oh, it was. Now it's like, and you're a band guy. <laughs> now I do, listen, you're in a band, but it almost feels like, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, that's it. I mean, was that that's it. something that you said? Like, you want yeah. to make sure to have your identity in the project, whatever it is. Well, they did. But in the beginning, they were willing to do whatever. I mean, in, in the beginning, the band was called Wild Horses. That was going to be the band name. You know, featuring whoever. What wasn't going to be my name. And Wild Horses was already taken by a band in, like, Cleveland or something. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't get it. So then Tony and the label had more meetings, like, will happen, you know. And they said... Uh, we want to use, somehow we want to use your name and the band. But I was already rehearsing and getting to know these guys. I didn't want to just completely push them out either. Hey, it's the Terry McBride Show and what a couple of guys. What were they told, though? Uh, Did they, were they each, like, signed to be solo artists, too? And he no. told all of you in different rooms, <laughs> you're a band. No. no, but he was going to give Ray a song on the album to sing because he was a singer. Uh, Billy was... It was all built up as you're going to get to work with Tony Brown and we're going to sign you to MCA. You're going to get a chance to be a band and step out and do your own thing. And that's what they told them as that's well. That's what they told them. And did, did either one of them think they were going to be a lead singer? Uh, Ray. Think? Ray really wanted to be a lead singer. Yeah, it was hard on that's him. That's a dynamic that, that you have to yeah. like accept, a tough R- one. Really hard on him. And and what we didn't know, Bobby, we got we were brought together thinking we're going to be the next Alabama. You know, We're all badass. We're great players. We'd spent years touring and traveling and recording, you know. 
But what happened for us was Ray's a baritone singer. Billy's an extremely high harmony tenor guy, and my voice is right in the middle. So we had this harmony blend that we didn't even know was part of the band until we started rehearsing, you know. Then it started taking a different turn. We realized, man, we've got something here, you know. They started just – it was a a revolving door of people coming to our rehearsals after that, managers, uh, agents – you know, lawyers, whatever. We didn't know what we were doing other than just continuing to play these songs in front of people. And it started taking off. And then they said, we got to have a band name and we'd like to use your name. They're telling me, you know. So I started thinking about Huey Lewis and The News, Bruce Hornsby and The Range. And then I thought, McBride and The Ride, you know, that could be cool. It rhymes. What could be better than that? And we took that idea back to them. They said, Sounds too good to be true. You know, we're going to check it out and see if we can have it. Nobody had that name. So that's that's how we got the name, and then we were, we're off and running after that. What does off and running mean? <laughs> well, we finished up our rehearsals, set a recording date next. You guys, you've got your songs. They had songs they really liked. I wrote most of that album, almost everything on the first album, uh, except for the one song Ray sang, I think. He sang one song on that album. And, um, and that was the next step. We passed the rehearsal phase now we're going to go into the studio and um, we sort of let steve fisher go he was starting to produce some things and it got down to just the three of us instead of a four-piece band it was the three voices of the band and then uh, we let steve co-produce that first record with tony brown and that was a nice segue for him to kind of exit the band in the best way we could do it and then we started releasing singles you know it was Were off. you playing any shows here if you weren't touring no we were- weren't we weren't doing much next step for us was we got got to get a manager you know and we had uh, Ken Levitan and this guy, uh, uh, Ken Stiltz, who was managing the Judds at the time. We had several people really interested, and Ken just kind of won us over, and very powerful guy at the time. The Judds were on top of the world. And he goes, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to put you out on tour. We had this guy named Bill Carter who was managing Rodney Crowell, uh, uh, a Secret Service guy, very interesting guy. Loved him, but it fell apart. He had a He really bumped heads with the label. Give us an ultimatum. You stay with us or you go with MCA. Oh, my God. I thought, I love you, but I got to go with Tony. It was a hard decision to make, and we're just getting started. I'm already, you know, getting these things thrown at us like, oh, I hope we're doing the right thing. So we went with Tony and um, went with Ken Stiltz, and he immediately put us on tour with the Judds, uh, 1990, you know, before the farewell tour, right before that. Well, what's that like? Oh, it was mind-blowing because they're doing those sheds. You know, they're they're one of the biggest acts in the country. And they were great to us. They just welcomed us in. You're part of the family now, you know. You're being managed. And I would go out and ride horses out at the farm with them. And Winona really took me in, loaned me your motorcycle. And I had a bike coming. They were just couldn't have been better to me. And uh, Naomi, the same thing, cooking food for us and doing all kinds of stuff. You what know? about the group? How are you guys getting along at this point? <laughs> we're getting along good. But I could tell there's a little something with Ray. He was a little hesitant. He's just gonna... an arranged marriage, you know? I mean, yeah. It's yeah. not even in that situation, obviously, even if you guys have been together since 14, <laughs> yeah. you've at least learned right. how to have disagreements. Right. And yeah. when you're stuck together as adults, you don't have the history with each other to know how to get in and out of uncomfortable things. You're just mm. kind of like, we're adults, we're crammed together, figure it out. That's really hard, regardless uh, of the situation. Well, that's that's a good point and valid for sure. You're exactly right. I mean, I don't even know these guys well yet, and we're trying to – got a brotherhood we're starting here. I hope this goes well, you know. But you're right. We we had some struggles along the way. But what really happened, what really killed it for us early on, 
the bands McBride and the Ride. You know, these guys are a big part of that band. But when we walked into an interview like this, the focus and the questions went to me. And those guys are sitting there. It was killing me at times. I'd try to bring him in. You know, Billy just played on Hillbilly Rock, Marty Stewart's new album. Killed it, you know. He's singing harmony on Little Liza Jane, you know. Uh, Ray just played on the La Love It record. You know, I was trying to, anything I could do. And then they would say things like, wow, Terry, you're writing these songs. You must be making a killing. The money you must be making right now, you're killing it, you know. Of course, we're on a salary. They're on a salary. They're not making a killing. I've got my publishing deal was already set before the band even came together. And that was a big issue down the road. You it know? feels like fair resentment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, You're honestly, right. I mean, I would be resentful oh. too, but not because you did anything no, that, that I found to be unfair or lack of integrity. That's I, I could absolutely see it, and I could feel it from them. Like, And I liked them personally. Still do. All these years later, we still like each other and still have fun. But with all that being said, Bobby, on the road, we had the best time. We laughed and cut up. We had so many things in common, you know, and the love of what we were doing was the biggest one, of course. How were the shows? They were great. We were just killing it. Uh, we came out of the box with two singles that completely tanked, you know. Uh, in typical fashion, they tested the entire album. The one song that tested the least became the hit. <laughs> well, this song's never going to make it. It's too country, it's too slow, never going to happen. A little country song called Can I Count on You. Let's play it. Okay, mind if I play a little bit no, of that? No, play a little of it. Right, here's a little bit of uh, Can I Count on You. So that's the one they thought wouldn't? That's never going to make it. You know, on a list of 1 to 10, that was 10 on the bottom, at the very bottom. And what happened, Tony Brown said, man, I signed you because of that song. And we're going we're gonna to go ahead and shoot a video on it. We went down to Bill Young. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard of Bill Young. He was a voiceover guy, Pace Concerts. He did all those voices. And he also had a production company. He was doing those Clint Black videos, all those first Clint Black videos. So we went down there. And he just created this little heartfelt video. And at the time, country videos were exploding. They were just kind of coming in to vogue. It was so popular and cool and new. We were way behind MTV, of course, you know. But they had, you know, TNN, the Nashville Network, had a video thing. CMT was coming around. And the video took off. It was a major, major video hit. It actually... Did you feel like the video pulled the song? Oh, most definitely. Back then... You could call in, you could write in, you know, and it became the most played video of that year in heavy was, rotation. What was, what was the video? I don't remember the video. It starts off real simple with the little cowboy coming out of the chute, steer wrestling, and he hits the ground on the end of the little Like a kid cowboy or a, or uh, a little like, man? Like a maybe a high school guy, a guy, young guy. And then he hits the ground, this little cowgirl, and her little cowgirl jeans comes over, and he's dusting himself off. She goes, are you okay? You know, a real country voice, and the song starts. And then it's the struggles of, can I count on you as we go through life together? And it was just touching, touching. And the song is almost like a wedding song, too. So, But it connected Bobby in a way, as you well know, when songs do, there's no stopping it. And so even without a lot of hope for us, it saved us. It sold us some records. It got us on the charts. We followed it up with one more single from that album, uh, Same Old Star, which wrote with Bill and Ruth and Gary Nicholson, who I ended up writing a lot of songs with over the years. And then that sort of teed us up for the second album, which was uh, Sacred Ground, which was a big hit for us. And we had some top five singles off of that that followed and another album. And then we were kind of on our way. You know, we were as far as touring, very popular, you know, getting lots of opportunities, as everybody was in the 90s. We were having success, you know. The Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. 
This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means the families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Welcome back to the Bobbycast. How was the dynamic at this point? Uh, it was good, but I could see even as our success was growing, Ray was still struggling with it, you know, unfortunately. And then as we got further into it, there became even more focus on me. They're wanting to, you know, we've got to really do something. It may be Terry McBride in the ride now, you know, and he just felt like this wasn't going to be a place for him anymore. They're going to push him out of his own band, you know, and. He and Billy kind of got together, and then we all got together and talked. And we'd already had some struggles. I remember I was in Oklahoma City, and they we came in one day, and they said, man, here's the deal. Moving forward, 
we're going to start sharing all the publishing on everything you write, you know? And I said, well, I get it. I hear where you're coming from, but I already have a publishing deal, you know? Now, if I split that piece with your pieces, you'll end up with more than I, I will. It's going to be a, it's not going to win. Nobody, so fortunately, Tony Brown, the manager, set us all down and said, listen, Terry writes all the time. You guys, you want to write, start writing if that's what you want to do. Bring in some songs like Terry does, you know? They, they ended up saying a lot of stuff that I didn't have to say and didn't have to get involved in it, really. But that's where we left it. Still didn't make it perfect. Still didn't mend everything that was hurting at the time, obviously. And then um, then the band broke up. That was it. What was the last, I don't want to say straw. It was just an unfair situation to put all of you yeah. guys at the beginning, honestly. It's so yeah. hard for that to be healthy oh, it when was. it wasn't started in a healthy way. If we were a band growing up, like you said, Absolutely. if we'd established, have the tools. here's what we're going to do. We're going to write these songs together. Now that's what we're doing, of course. Yeah. You know, I'm going to... I'm making the extra mile or whatever I need to do to include them in everything we do because there's still moments that we're, you know, we'll go to these shows. Ladies and gentlemen, Terry McBride and The Ride. You know, it's not Terry McBride and The Ride, but, you know, they have to deal with it all the time still. But we're so much older now. That stuff doesn't sure. sting like it did back then when you want to be a part of something. And you know you are a part of something. You what know? was the plan for everybody? Because, okay, the band's breaking up. Then what, <laughs> does everybody have a plan? No, there's no plan. There's me moving forward with a whole new band uh, that I didn't want to do. I wanted to do a solo record. You know, I said, let me do a solo record. No, there's value in the band, the name, the brand, you know. And So I did one more record, and I was just burnt. I wasn't writing a lot. I wrote one song about my dad. He had, he had passed away at 55 years old and, uh, one kind of heartfelt tune, but I just wasn't doing what I needed to do to keep my career going. You know, your dad died at fifty five. Yeah, he died. He got a rare form of brain cancer. Shocking. You know, my great grandmother was one hundred and two. We thought, oh, we're going to live forever. You know, yeah, genetically, I would think <laughs> genetically, the same thing. we got a shot here. You know, she's living at a time when people don't make it that long. And uh, my grandparents were both elderly, and but my dad just uh, suddenly had this sort of a, not a seizure, but a paralysis while he was mowing the yard one day. Wow. Do they credit that? To, right, maybe the words are credit. Do they blame that yeah. on anything, any his lifestyle? No, just they, all? it's so rare form that he had, Bobby. Wow. There were just, all we had were a million questions and no answers to it at all. They tried experimental whatever. And in the beginning, it was so small, it wasn't even able to detect it with x-ray and all that that they had to go through. But it started growing so quickly that it affected everything, his speech, his ability to play, everything. Did he get to see you be successful at all? Just the very beginnings of it. He was really in a bad way, but I played Austin, and there was a place called uh, Dance Across Texas. I don't know if you remember that mm -hmm. or not. Massive honky-tonk. And I remember the guys from George Strait Band, he called me, Benny MacArthur, that day, and he goes, Terry, I just drove by. You got a line all the way around the building, man. It's going to be killer, you know. And I thought, oh, it's great. So my dad came that night. And really got to see that crowd just, you know, frenzy, great screaming crowd. You know, it was so much fun. Did but he, he was really. Did he understand? I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. So he could see the early part of your success. You appreciate bet. it. That's oh, yeah. Awesome. He's like, I'm going to get on the bus. That's awesome. We're going to do some things together. I thought, yeah, we will. It'll be great. You know, and, and all along, my career has taken off, and there he is. He's dying, you know. And only good, the only good thing about, and there's really nothing good about it, but the only thing we salvaged from it was before I moved, I was taking him to all of his treatments. You know, I would take him to uh, Scott and White Hospital over in Temple, and uh, you know, experimental radiation, experimental chemo, and but we'd have some talks that you just normally wouldn't have had. You know, so I was getting it all out there. Whatever I 
wanted to tell him and whatever I wanted to know about him. You know, he was he was he was explaining it to me and, and not and not hiding anything at that point. You know? Was he able to talk to you a little more as a peer? Because again, he had done all. He's, he your, had. he's your dad. Yeah. But but now you're in. You're committed. You've been yeah. grinding too. Yeah. Was there a level of of peer to peer somewhat musically um, at that point, or was it just he was sick and he knew it, and you guys were just bonding? As yeah, he was son. so sick. Yeah. He's like, man, don't lose. You lose your health, you lose everything. I remember you having those talks with me. But he also, you know, I, here's my dad, kind of in a nutshell. He's just very realistic about things because he struggled, you know, a lot. Uh, and so when I got the record deal. They sent me the contract, you know, oh my gosh, there it is, you know. And prior to this, my closest brush with fame being at a label was it was Tony Brown passing on me with the MCA rainbow letterhead. I, w- I was, I, I've almost made it. That was the biggest day <laughs> I had, Bobby. I went, this you is got a I, piece of paper I, with the logo. I still have it, Bobby. That's funny. I still have it with my rejection. It's a basic form letter with Tony's signature on it at the bottom. But I went, oh my God, Tony Brown has just passed on me. I don't know if it's going to get any better than that, you know. The guy that I adore the most, you know, has just passed on me. And I'll be darned if he didn't end up signing me all those years later. But when I did sign that contract, I remember my dad going, son, you know, it's a contract. It's a major label, but it doesn't guarantee a dang thing, you know. And, you know, not exactly the response I was hoping for, but I got it. I understood where he was coming from, you know. And he was pulling for me. My dad was that kind of guy where I'd run into people later after he passed, and people would say, your dad. He was so proud of you. Mm. You know, I was like, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I wish I'd seen a little bit more of that. Sure. It just wasn't in him. Like I said, he's a very stoic kind of individual. He wasn't going to pat you on the back a lot. Uh, my early experiences was in the band. He'd go, Terry, he'd go, the band's dragging, Terry. You know, he'd let me know things weren't happening the way they but should be. But he was be. really proud of you. But he was. I heard side. it from so many people, you know, that were close to him over the especially as he was pa- slowly passing away, you know, struggling with his disease. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a tough time, man, because I just moved here. I just left my yeah. left my home, my family, uprooted my, my daughter and my wife, and things were going things were going well, except for that in the back of my mind constantly, you know, worrying about my dad, you know. But so, he, he quickly went to a nursing home. He's just as sad as it can get. You know, he's a 55-year-old guy. That's what's crazy. He's 55. Oh, I'm 64. It's shocking. When I was 55, I went, boy, this isn't fair, you know, but what is at times? I felt the you same. Know? My mom died in her 40s mm. from drugs and alcohol. And I remember oh. being a kid because she had me at 16. She just turned 16. Wow. And so I remember thinking, man, because she was like my age. Wow. That, like, like, that's so old. That's good. <laughs> And now I'm here, and I'm like, man, that is not fair. No, no. Like, that sucks. And, and, you know, I don't know about your mom, but my dad was always a fairly healthy guy. He wasn't a smoker. He wasn't a drinker at all. Mm. He was really more religious. He eventually became born again. That took him down a path where he stopped doing a lot of music and things he was doing. He was trying to do some, you know, country Christian music and things. It just wasn't working. It wasn't going well. Then he started selling storage buildings and mobile homes he tried to do other things that he really wasn't qualified or experienced in doing either he was just trying stuff you know and still playing on the weekends and doing stuff but uh, it's just not like he used to not not like he used to and then but you know the good thing is i've inherited all that those guitars that i grew up with oh you have them oh i have them all uh you still play them oh you bet do they still play oh man really i've got a 67 epiphone casino that my dad bought new and it's just I mean, I had Chris Stapleton over one day, and Chris likes to play whatever you have. You know, he 
he'll work the whole room, you know, but I let him play that guitar because I just kind of gotten it out of storage and put some strings on it. It needed a little work, but he played it that day and said, Terry, this might be the best guitar I've ever played. You know, I thought I knew it was something special, just the feel of it. Wonderful, small neck, you know, incredible action. So I use that guitar a lot. I like to bring it to guys who play well because they, they love it, you know, and, um, a 1960 basement that he bought new, a little reverb head that goes with it, a D18 from that same year, 67, and then a uh, 335 that was his. I have all that. Do you take any of that on the road? Uh, the, the Epiphone I have a lot. I, I, I do like a solo show. I, I like to bring a couple different guitars or three to mix it up a little bit, try to make a show out of it, you know, and I'll play like uh, play something country and I'll do the lick and try to rock out on that, and it's great for that that particular song and then uh, i bring a little classical i do a little willie nelson uh, segment where i you know pay my respects and how much willie meant to me and um, but yeah i love things like that i love stuff that you can use as well you yeah. know having it is is great but using it is really the payoff for sure the big the big uh, reason for still keeping it i, I can't imagine ever parting with it. the kids will get all that stuff someday let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor this festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or you like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events, there is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. 
I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. This is the Bobby Cast. Are you excited to be on the road with the guys again? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're having fun and we're not it's not glamorous by any means. I mean, you know, the the buses have priced themselves out of our our, our range and we're doing okay and still it's just ridiculous you know we just we can't tour like that anymore so we we send a box truck we fly a lot of dates and then we get a suburban there are only four of us you know and uh we also have bruce bowton who's a a-team session guy forever he played on sacred ground back in 92 and uh we're fortunate to have him in the band and uh and it's fun man we the guys still play great billy's in the time jumpers with uh you know they play every monday night third and lindsley Ray still plays on all the Lyle records, and he has a club out in Scottsdale his family's owned for 50 years that he now owns, and they have live music there four nights a week. He plays in that band. So these guys, we've all been playing and singing, so it's not like we all had to, you know, convince somebody to get back to playing, and it's everybody's still doing it. Billy still does sessions, and everybody's still very active, you know, so it, it helps when we get together. I had to learn all these songs again, you know, sing them and remember them, and I play bass in the band and sing. Lead, so it's a little different animal. So you're basing now. You're, I still play you're, bass. You're back. But when you're doing shows, when you're playing, but you do, do you ever play bass at all? Yeah. yeah like well, normally like, without the band? No. Okay, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> like you're back. <laughs> I'm back to the bass. Yeah. Something I I've done off and on my whole life. I mean, it, it's an instrument that when I was 13, maybe 12, my dad said, "Here's the deal, son. You want to grow up and be in my band? Here's what's going to happen. I'm the guitar player. I need a bass player." I can't find a good bass player, you know? And so he took me to a pawn shop over in Coppers Cove, Texas. And we found this little SG copy. Brought it home, and, man, I loved it. It was four strings. It was really simple. It was like guitar simplified, you know, no chords. Finding the key you're in and working around it and keeping it simple, which my dad really, that's all he wanted from a bass player. But my dad had these massive chord charts, and so... Early on, I could sit in with the band and play anything because he taught me to read these chord charts. Very simple. Just follow the chords and then check the ending, either a, for one or two endings. And a coda, you had to look for the coda, which would take you back to the top. But once you figured that out, it was relatively easy, you know. And after you do it a while, it becomes even easier, you know. So I was out doing that my summer year and my eighth grade summer year. I played all summer with my dad. His bass player got thrown in jail <laughs> I mean that's a that's school right there. Yeah. I mean not the jail part, Bobby. but you you having to play. It. Oh, Bobby! My experience prior to that was my dad would bring me up as a young child, and he, <laughs> I wanted to be in the show so bad that somehow with around my dad, I ended up slapping my face, my cheeks, and making sounds. You know, I could move my mouth, I could open it or close it, and tone and make different you know notes is what I was doing just for fun. And my dad took that idea and created a segment in the show where I would come out of the crowd as a 10-year-old kid 
and I would play the William Tell Overture on my face. Would they, what did he say? It was you? Or would, oh, yes. You, okay, got it, got it. Hey, I want to get my son to come up here and do a little something for you. And that's what you would do? Okay, now he's going to do a little before us now, Mike. Now he's going to do a little something yeah, yeah. for you. Come no, up no, here. you're going to do it now. Come up give, here, give it Terry. To us, Terry. Give it to so us So I'd come up there, and I would, and then I'd even milk the ending. I'd end it with a little, you know, cool little thing for the crowd. Of course, you know, I'm 10 years old. I look like I'm six, and the crowd would go wild. You know, now, fast forward, I'm in my teens, and my dad still likes for me to do this thing, you know. I'm dating, and I'm, you know, it's not so much fun for me anymore, you know. I'm, even while I'm in playing bass in my dad's band. Now, Terry, come, and then finally I had to have a talk with him. You know, Dad, I love you, love being in the band, but I, I don't want to do that anymore, you know. You I'm, eight, I'm 18. The Charlie yeah. Temple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm 37. I don't want to, you know. No, I wasn't. But I finally got him to back off of the William Tell Overture. But, but, but I would go out in the summers. I'd take my little bass, you know. And my dad would let me sit in. The guys in the band were cool. I knew everybody. You know, I knew them and on the road with them. But one night down in Texas, this young bass player had uh, been overserved and uh, also had something with my dad that he didn't like. You know, there was something going on. When you're young, you don't know what the heck is going on like that. But he wanted to fight my dad after the show. And he did. He He, he tried to pick a fight with my dad. And what he did... He picked up a chair in the lobby of the hotel and threw it at my dad. My dad ducked, and it went through the front window of the lobby of the hotel, shattered the whole window out. <laughs> and so the cops came. Yeah, they, that's attention. Yeah, yeah that's attention, yeah. And so I'm shocked. I'm, I'm frightened. I mean, seeing somebody want to fight your dad is pretty scary, you know. And I think my dad could have handled himself. He's six foot tall, healthy guy. But instead, the cops came. Took this young guy to jail. The next morning, my dad got me. We went to his room, uh, packed up all of his clothes, put it in his suitcase, and we went down to the jail. And when I got there, you know, I'm I'm young. I'm 13. I've never been in jail yet, you know. So, <laughs> so I go in jail, and there's the bass player, and I can see him in the back. He's peering out through the bars, and he's been crying all night. You can tell his hair is all messed up. He looks horrible, and he's waiting. I think his mom is coming to get him. You know, they've got him in jail. So we left his luggage. I went back that night. I plugged into his amp, and I had the gig <laughs> for the whole summer. I played all the way up until my freshman year started. Wow. Yeah, it was. Thank God for that chair, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, I, if I didn't have the bug, which, of course, I already did, mm-hmm. I was. I thought I was in the band. I didn't want to go to high school. I tried to tell my dad, listen, I'm in the band. You know, I'm doing a good job, and the guys seem okay with it, and I'm I'm your guy, you know, but. He was not going to have it. I want to play a little bit of Marlboro's and Avon, which is oh, cool. from McBride and the Ride, which, by the way, you guys are putting out a full like EP in July. You bet. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. it's coming. You All bet. Right, here you go, Mike. I'll never forget the smell of Marlboro's and Avon. You like putting out new music again under, under McBride and the Ride? You bet. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fun to hear those songs kind of come together with the the guys we're playing everything and singing everything like we did back in the day and it's uh it's an outlet for us that we probably need you know i didn't know it would ever happen again uh we didn't leave on bad terms but it was not great it was a lot of emotional stuff going on there at the time you know and i had to buy the name from the guys it was a lot of that stuff you know and they figured it would probably never happen but i went out to scottsdale about three or four years ago and played this beautiful musical instrument museum theater and i invited ray out because we've always stayed in touch billy and ray and i said come out man i'm just doing this solo show and i got him up we sang sacred ground boy the next day i lit a fire under him you know he's Mm -hmm. like man 
we're still we're still at the age where we we could be doing this. We should be doing it. We called Billy. We got together, visited, got together and sang. It was really good. You know, everybody still sings well. And uh, we thought the '90s is popular. You know, we we had some hits. Let's see if there's some opportunities out there. You know, and and fortunately there were. There were some people really interested. And you know, I tell people like, "How's it going?" It's like, "Well, we're sixty year old guys singing thirty year old songs, and people showing up to to hear it." You know, and it's it's pretty fun. It's yeah. not all all great. I mean, we're playing this denim fest this week, and we're the baby act, the oldest baby act. For the weekend, you know, but we'll, uh, it's an opportunity, you know, that's, that's fun though. Hey, we'll, we'll get up there and kick ass like we do every night and, and something good will come from it. I have no doubt of that. You and know? if you weren't still good, it'd be different. Yeah. We're struggling and wheeling somebody out there. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I, I've seen that, that side too. Yes, that would be different. I mean, I went on the country music cruise and I called my friend. I said, man, there are more walkers and scooters and rascal abouts out here. And I said, that's just the artist, you know, <laughs> It was shocking what it could be, you know, as we continue to go down this road. But while we're while we're all still in good shape, why not? You know, it's fun. We like to rock. We were always a very energetic band. We had a lot of hits that were ballads. So when people came to see us, they were kind of surprised. But we're very, uh, you know, and, and accomplished players. Ray's just a tremendous guitar player that you have to have. And he has his little thin Gibson Chet on a stand. He walks up and plays acoustic. Then he has his electric and... Our lap, our steel player plays lap, and you know we're all singing. It's a lot for a four-piece band. It's way bigger than what you think it is when you see us take the stage, you know. But uh, we can hold our own out there, and it's 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 fun. It's really been good. Not every show is you know packed houses and things like that, but it's really picked up since we first got started doing this just a couple years ago. Well, I go to Terry McBride Music at Terry McBride Music on Instagram. Where can they go? Uh, the dates up there for the shows that you're you doing? Bet. I would think they would be. Yeah, I didn't look right before we came. McBrideandtheRide.com, everything. That's even easier. That's even easier. That's even easier. Everything about us and what we're doing, especially the tour dates are on there for sure. Man, congratulations. It's super cool. <laughs> Thanks, that's, Bobby. I mean, it's, I mean, that's super cool that you guys are doing it again. Yeah, it's 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 been fun. You have to come see us sometime. We get in town. We played third in Lindsley a couple not times. Not on a cruise. I will not go on a cruise, yeah, though. I, 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 get, I get motion sickness. So. Well, that's probably my last. It's just not my thing. I... I I did the second one by myself. I did Delbert's cruise one year. It was fun. The roughest sea, Bobby, it was shocking. My first cruise ever. And the ocean was just violent at times. Couldn't even have events outside. I walked down that Twilight Zone hallway, and the ship was just rising oh, and falling. I'd be, I'd be vomiting oh, every wall. I thought I would. I had my sea band on. I had my Dramamine. I did everything I possibly could, but I had to go back to my room. And I watched my curtains Go back and forth. Mm. I had a pin. I'm getting on my- sick hearing this. <laughs> Just visualizing it, I'm getting emotional. I had a pin on my table, and I watched it roll back and forth. I mean, this and those ships were like uh, Norwegian. They're not big. They're not the Carnival Cruise. They're small, so it gets tossed around in a way that those big ships sometimes don't. But uh, this, it's just not my my thing. I, being there for a week, you're you know. It just I met a lot of great people. That part of it was yeah, justified to me. I ain't going no, no, I, I have a little bit of that feeling that's too. I got seasick when I was young in the Gulf of Mexico, and that was in the back of my mind. And that's a horrible feeling. One of the worst uh, experiences I've ever had. Well, I like to end on such a positive note. <laughs> Seasickness. <laughs> you guys follow at Terry McBride Music on Instagram. Same thing on TikTok. Go watch McBride and the Ride, and the whole EP comes out in July. Marlboro's and Avon now and. 
This has been awesome. We've done an hour. Man, have we really? Mike, where yeah. are we at? We did an hour. Hey, I want to tell you before we get off of here, I mean, I've, I've been following you kind of over the, since you've... Literally or like... Well, just, yeah, I'm yeah, stalking yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know the codes now, so I, you'll, you'll be seeing more of me, Bobby. <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> but I've... Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know you were doing the podcast, you know, until I got the invite. So I started doing a little little searching, started listening, and dang it, man, you've you've hooked me now. I've oh, I, I'm into at least uh, s- several of them, and I've really enjoyed um, learning things that I didn't know, like Bailey Zimmerman. You know, that's a, if there was a modern day success story, that kid's got it. You know, but it's but not there. The uh, the one that I just finished up was the one with uh, was it Patrick Hicks. Yeah. yeah, I had no idea who that person was. The, the guy on TikTok who I didn't either. Oh and then, my god! Once I got into it, then I so uh, he's so good. Yeah, he's. I really, just love music. I mean, that's why this exciting yeah. for me to sit with you. We get an hour, right? It's yeah, not man. a six-minute radio hit. Yeah, it's not okay. Five, six—the standard questions you get over and over again. Yeah, we get to talk about things like your dad. Yeah, we get to talk about things like the good parts, the bad. So I just really appreciate it. Well, likewise, man. I I, I enjoyed it. It was. I didn't realize how long we had gone, but... No, pre- that's the right amount. Appreciate- He's apologizing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was so good for an hour. No, that's not how this yeah. works, Terry. Mike, Mike good luck yeah, editing, yeah, yeah. editing the hell out of this There's thing. No ed- yeah. There'll be no editing. <laughs> All right, cool. At Terry McBride Music. Go follow him. Terry, thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production. This festival and concert season will be... All about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.